0: Squeegeecast Episode 10 Stephanie Rainica of Ray Promo Squeegeecast The podcast for screen printers and garment decorators The purpose of SqueegeeCast is to help you better your products, processes, and knowledge in the garment decorating field. Please visit SqueegeeCast.com and share your input and opinions. You can find us on a variety of social networks, so please support SqueegeeCast by liking, sharing, and following. Hello everybody, Philip Hicks here. Welcome to this episode of SqueegeeCast. Today my guest is Stephanie Reineke of Ray Promo from Cape Town, South Africa. Hello, Stephanie. How are you doing today?
1: Um, I'm very good, thanks,
0: Uh I found Stephanie through uh, Facebook. Facebook is a wonderful tool for networking and getting to know people that are in your field and craft in the garment decorating areas, and there's several groups that you can join, and uh, I suggest you do. They're really nice. The people there are very friendly. There's a little bit of... Uh, bashing among people and a lot of kidding, but um, in general, I think it's a really good tool. So I've I've found some of the guests on SqueegeeCast through that, and Stephanie is one of them. And so today we'll speak with her. So Stephanie, if you would just tell the listeners how you got started, or first about what is your business and what do you do?
1: Okay, well, um, it started out, my, my husband started about ten years ago with a few embroidery machines in his garage. And um, it kind of, it's grown from there to the stage where now we run nine embroidery heads, three DTTs, screen printing, sublimation, vinyl transfers. Yeah, so it it started with me, well, almost exactly four years ago now, where my husband got to the stage with embroidery machines with one printer that he couldn't do everything on his own anymore, and I spent years in... Customer service, failed attempt at architecture, um, journalism, <laughs> a variety of things, and then joined him there to do the admin. And there wasn't enough admin to go around, and I started fiddling with the first printer, which was a Brother GT782 DTG, which no one was really using, and I couldn't figure out why. And yeah, I started playing with it, and it was a, a really, really nice toy. <laughs>
0: So this is four years ago. So the technology is probably a little bit less than it is now. So why you guys weren't using that machine a lot?
1: You know what? This is actually a cautionary tale for a lot of people getting started. What basically happened is my husband thought DTG. He had a a tiny little screen printing carousel right in the beginning when they started out. And he deemed it way too dirty. So they were looking at getting into DTG. They were looking at a corner Thunder and the brother GT7A2. But the gt 7 2 has got double platons. It's I think I would say that it's a lot faster than the Thunder. I mean, both are relatively industrial. But this is where the crux comes in. Um, they basically got lied to regarding the ink cost of this machine. They were presented with this incredible ROI based on completely fictional ink cost. And then they bought the machine. It's a fantastic machine, really. The Brother machines are great, but the ink is just ridiculously expensive. And um, the company that sold them the printer promptly went bust, and there was absolutely nothing they could do about it, and we could never, we we still can't um, afford to do contract printing with Brother Ink prices. So they were stuck with it
0: that's, like you say, a cautionary tale. I recently um, read an article about that's one of the main things you need to look at is uh, consumables. Sometimes they give away the technology and charge you on the back end, or they you know, or they charge you up front for all the technology. You have two more direct-to-garment printers that you're using. I, I guess this is going to probably be primarily direct-to-garment because that's your area of expertise. Is that not true, Stephanie?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I started with the direct garments, like I said, the four years ago. So I took the brother under my wing. It wasn't very much, and I started marketing the prints. The fact that we can do, um, you know, smaller runs with multiple colours, cetera. I mean, the the classic D T G is great. You can always find a market for it. So I started marketing that, but we definitely. This was with the initial ink set that I had with the brother. And there was no white. So we looked at, okay, can we charge what we need to for these prints? No. But is there a future for DTG with us? Yes. In September of that year, <coughs> I started in May, we bought the first M2, the DTG digital m twos. The M2 ink prices were was about, I think... At that stage, I would say it was about a quarter of that of the brother.
0: Oh, that's that's substantial.
1: Yeah, so we could we we got the the first M two, and then I had to learn to start printing with white ink, which was a a glorious learning curve in itself.
0: Direct to garment definitely is not my field of expertise. I'm a classical screen printer with some exposure to embroidery. The direct-to-garment is extremely interesting to me, and it gets more and more interesting every day because of Squeegee Cast and the Facebook pages. I interact with a lot of direct-to-garment printers, and I'm learning things. Uh, You know, when you say learning to print with white ink, um, I'm sure all the listeners that are direct-to-garment people are going, oh, yeah, that was tough, or yeah, I wish I could figure it out. It falls short on my ears.
1: (laughs) Well, I could could always elaborate, but um, I have to say I'm a huge nerd when it comes to see the machines and printing.
0: So I can, I can waffle on for days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, one thing I see is that uh, what little I know about the, the inks, the pigments are floating in a solution. This is similar to any inks or any screen printing inks and stuff. You have pigments uh, that are in a base mm-hmm. and they're floating around and they're trying to figure out how to get bonded to a surface. And white is exceptionally heavy, and it's exceptionally heavy in screen printing ink. It's almost like a uh, if you pick up a gallon bucket of white ink compared to a gallon bucket of uh, you know black ink, it's hugely <laughs> heavier. So these pigments fall, and they screw up your print heads because they, they cement up, they fall down. And I guess I'm doing a total layman's thing. You're probably thinking, well, that's an interesting way of looking at it. White ink activity, mm, slushing, mixing, uh, keeping it, printing... Keeping it moving, keeping it flowing, and not letting it sit around seems to be an extremely important part of the direct to garment uh deal with the white
1: yeah you've pretty much summed it up perfectly there um the way I always explain it i mean, when the the industry in in South Africa is firstly a good couple of years behind the u s um you have you don't have any guys here. With smaller machines printing from home for their own brands, we, the, the country's still getting there. Um, and I think a lot of the, our industry is also very closed, so I have to explain to people, well from day one, and I still do what is TG to clients, and um, also why it's expensive because compared to screen printing and volume, the the price range is there's a huge, huge difference. So um, my go-to is normally to explain to clients, well, it's essentially an oversized desktop printer. That's pretty much what it is. And then we take textile inks, which is then forced through a very, very fine print head. And the CMYK is fine, but like you just said, all the pigments in the white makes it a tricky business. So... And the white ink is a very specialized ink, um, so it's a lot more expensive than just doing a CMYK print, besides being a two-part process. But, um, yeah, getting back to to starting out with the white ink, that was firstly getting the pre-treat. Strangely enough, I never had any issues right in the beginning with the white clogging and stuff like that. I I was quite careful on my maintenance from day one, keeping the cap station clean and stuff like that. So never really struggled with, and we printed every day because we had the existing client base. So that's also a big thing, not letting the machine stand. Um, but getting the pre-treat right. Um, Pre-treats and curing, that was my biggest struggles starting off with light.
0: I've seen uh, a lot of activity... On techniques and theories on pre treating. Being mm-hmm. a screen printer, I couldn't even understand it. It took a long time to even understand. I was almost like.
1: yes yeah, because it's so absolutely stupid. <laughs> <makes no> sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it. It still seems a little strange. Although some of the ink technology and and like the Cornets, they use a, a wet, you know, wet on wet. I mean, they're spraying their ink mm-hmm. right on a soaking wet shirt. And I mean, that's a lot. I, I was shocked to see the volume of liquid they put on a shirt prior to spraying, and I was like, "That just seemed crazy." I mean, I, I, being a screen printer, I would like get a five-gallon bucket, dunk my shirt in there, and load it on the plant, and then send it around. That just seemed.
1: No, I agree that the cornets are the cornets are a, a whole, an entirely different beast. Um, but yeah, I agree completely. The first time I saw a cornet going and all that wet going on. It just it seemed impossible because when we, we spent the first year, we used a spray gun. Well, they gave us a Wagner, yeah. which um, I promptly broke, and <laughs> then I promptly broke another one, and... Um, I asked why a Wagner and what is this? Because, remember, Wagner isn't a, a standard brand here in South Africa.
0: Oh, okay. My
1: print supplier was actually importing Wagners, probably from Home Depot. Right. Um, importing Wagners and sending them to me at a premium, and it was just an absolute laugh because all the, all the fittings were plastic and it just wasn't standing up to the use. So um, we threw away the Wagner and went to the hardware store, and I just asked the guy, listen, I'm looking for a high-end spray gun. And I ended up paying less than I did for the Wagner. This obviously won't be the same in the U.S. Um, they were yeah. charging me probably the equivalent of hmm, $100? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: Or 100 to $150 for a basic Wagner, which is ridiculous. Um, but anyway, so I went to the hardware store and got a nice local brand um, spray gun with metal fittings etc that would last and also I have a local service center for it so if I needed parts for it I could get it unlike the Wagner which isn't supported in South Africa. So we spent the first two and a half years just spraying everything by hand whereas now we have a pre-treater which is just heaven
0: without knowing things I look at the pre-treating systems and they seem you know fairly elaborate and such and I was thinking well I think you could really do a heck of a lot with your hand sprayer like you're describing without being Mm -hmm. much difficult so it's good to know that that is a worthy investment
1: no that's exactly I fought it for a long long time saying we we doing fine with a gun because I mean we do we do a lot of bigger runs as well. That that's the main reason why I started looking at a pre treat machine because when you're doing three hundred black shirts, spraying that by hand consistency is just goes completely out the window. There's no way you can spray three hundred shirts exactly the same way, whereas you can with a pre treat machine. Okay which is a huge thing for production runs and we're getting more and more retail work where, you know, it's fine if you're sending single T-shirts off for a website because you're never putting two of them next to each other. But if you're hanging them Uh on a railing, they're going to need to look the same.
0: Yes. Uh, If you're serious about it, a pre-treatment system uh, machine is a worthy investment. Absolutely. Okay, so you, you get this stuff going and you're marketing it and things are going well. Somewhere in there you had to add employees, right? Yes. So you got a horrible employee story or a great one? or
1: No, I I think I'm pretty much my, my own horrible employee and I'll share a few anecdotes with you just now. But um, pretty much when we started getting really busy where I had to run the one... Is the brother we saw? We only got back into service about a year ago. But so running production, 16, 18 hours a day on one machine, I had to get an employee in and also teaching him about the maintenance, etc. And I tried, I tried too fast to step away completely. And a big part of DTG is cleaning the machine. So my maintenance routine would be cleaning the wipe blade and the cap station which protects the head and then also wiping any um, ink buildup up off the head and I would use a small bamboo kebab stick. This is mm-hmm. not recommended or in the manual ever but um, the ink builds up on the sides of the head um, between the head and the mounts, and I would just use a little kebab stick, bamboo kebab stick, just to edge that ink out because you can't get in there with a cloth. So I tried to get an employee to do this. And when I tried printing, something was very wrong. And when I looked under the machine, he had jammed the kebab stick in so hard next to the head that he actually shifted the head in its mouth um, and it was yeah. sitting at an angle. And he had a heart attack. because obviously big t c c machines printeds, yes, your printed is a big thing so since then i do this was probably about two years ago since uh-huh. then I do all the machine maintenance myself. No one else touches them. they can run them, but the the maintenance and cleaning is key you can't you can't get away from that. you have to constantly clean um when we started screen printing late last year, I just I, I I couldn't get my head around how simple the process is. I mean obviously your machine needs to be your carousel needs to be well tuned, um, et cetera but compared to the myriad of things that can go wrong with DTG, screen is just beautiful.
0: The the thing about screen printing is each step is removed from each other's you know, when you generate the artwork, mm-hmm. then you have to. I assume you're using films to expose your screens. You got to make those properly, and then so as things are chopped up into little bits, each one is relatively simple task.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In that machine, it's taking all those tasks and compressing them. <laughs> Stuff it takes you, you know, you got to generate these films then you got to code all your screens and then you've got to choose your mesh counts and put your films on there and expose them and wash them out. And the direct-to-garments just squishes these hours and hours of processes down to seconds. And so that's why things are so expensive with it. And all your pre-press is built in to basically what you buy up front and how well you maintain it. In screen printing, you know, once you get into automatic equipment, then you get a myriad of things that can go wrong.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Nothing screws up T-shirts quicker than automatic not working properly. It's an <laughs> automatic reject maker. Yeah,
1: I mean, that, that's essentially, it's essentially a very large DTG that, that requires a very skilled operator. <laughs> Um,
0: yeah, I mean, there's still uh, big differences. I mean, I do like the fact that uh, Cornit's doing some uh, blending, mixing of the uh, technologies. Uh, they mm-hmm. have a, a paradigm that will actually even go on a manual if you cared to, but uh, you print. And it's a proprietary ink system as well, but it's basically screen printing your pre-treat uh, white base that has mm-hmm. a chemistry in it that um accepts the overspray of the direct to garment inks that's pretty fascinating to me because then all of a sudden your white ink layer is done in a second then moves on to your you know inked up printer so that's that's kind of exciting i'm glad that there are people working on all levels of what can we do with this stuff
1: mm. Yeah, the, the whole production on demand thing is is growing very very fast. And but what you said just now about the paradigm, I also thought that was really really interesting. But as far as I understood, they never really got it to work properly. I mean, if you're a, a proper screen printer, the, the 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 registration issues and things that can come in with that paradigm system. It's just an absolute nightmare, but I love the idea of it. And I think with screen printing, it's an absolute dying art to be able to do your separations properly and halftones and dot sizes and things like that. Whereas people like me, we just throw things on a printer and then we. I think the biggest part of my job is just to get that printer to run all day long without um, automatically making rejects all day.
0: That's the goal of everyone, no rejects. Describe your little direct-to-garment studio. You said that it's uh, you're keeping climate controlled and uh, limited access. So describe this room and, and the importance of having this room.
1: Well, this is this is actually a pretty good story as well. Um, like I said, we started with the Brother GT782, which is, it's really old now, but it's, it's still a beautiful machine. It's very well-built, it's built like a tank. Um, It, um, Bubba has a high viscosity ink, so it doesn't like it when it gets too cool, but it can withstand relatively high heat. Um, then we got the smaller, a a lot less industrial machine, the digital M2, and we got it in September, and just when I thought I was starting to get the hang of this, um, after I learned that I can wash prints out and save the T-shirts. Um, that probably saved us from going bankrupt in the first three months. <laughs> um, but So with uh, considerably less industrial machine, which we got in September, it just completely kicked out at 30 degrees in December. It refused to print anymore. And then we realized, okay, this is a problem. Um, We were never initially told about anything like this. And funny enough, now there's, yeah, the T-shirt forums, is the DTG group. But at that stage, I didn't really think that much of reaching out for resources. Um, But basically, um, I did some research. After the machine stopped dead at 30 degrees, it just would not print anymore. And we went out and we got a 60,000 BTU air conditioning unit to cool the room down. Uh huh. That, yeah, that's what we had to do. And then, um, this is where it gets interesting. Um, I was fine for about a year with the 60,000 BTU because the unit was, it was an industrial unit, and it's like from the outside, you didn't actually fire the air that much. Uh huh.
0: Um,
1: so I had a, I was always above about 50% humidity. It wasn't really an issue. Then, um, we bought a factory, well, a warehouse. And we made some changes to the warehouse, and we—that was now, but probably about a year and a half ago—we made changes to the warehouse, and we need the council sign off, which um, we weren't getting. Things can take a long, long time. Well also see—I can't—I can't really say it's Africa. I think. Bureaucracy is everywhere, everywhere yeah. in the world. <laughs> but um, so we couldn't finish the building. So I had an open mezzanine in a warehouse which hits well over 100 degrees in summer and it's dusty as all hell. So I said, no, I can't, I can't D2G print from here. So I moved home. I printed from my spare room for six months. Um, then I moved to the warehouse where they cleaned out an old sewing room for me under the mezzanine, which is where I still am, the print cave. Um, and I was there for a few months and then we had to change a couple of things on the building. So I had to move out of the sewing room where I was with a portable air con and two humidifiers to keep the humidity between 60 and 70. Um, Then they had to work on the sewing room and I had to move out and there was nowhere else in the warehouse to go. So I moved into the ladies' bathroom for (laughs) about two weeks with my two printers. (laughs) Another one had arrived in the interim. So I moved to the ladies' bathroom with 2 M DTGM2s and printed from there for two weeks while the the construction was going on. Because it was the only area in the warehouse that I could keep temperature and humidity controls.
0: I'm from Florida. I'm kind of used to humidity. Uh, mm-hmm. Humidity is uh, probably just a natural state uh, for those printers. Of course, the temperature is too high, but um, relative humidity is um, pretty good in Florida. I would have thought South Africa had a higher humidity than I guess it does.
1: Yeah, remember, I'm I'm on the I'm on the southern tip of Africa. Um,
0: you're a lot closer to the equator than I am. Yes, yes. I, it just looks so tropical there. I, I went online, looked at pictures. It's absolutely beautiful. It's kind of a tangent here. The fauna just looks so lush that I would think the humidity would be higher. But as you say, I mean, I realize where you're on, on the Earth, it is a uh, what I would call a higher latitude. I guess it's a lower latitude, mm-hmm. but it's relatively similar.
1: Well, to give you an idea, when it, when it's not um, our summer temperatures range from about um, well, on average, I would say twenty five to thirty five degrees Celsius. Um, we had then the last, let's say, February March are our hottest months, where it's consistently um, in the very high thirties, um, low forties, which for you would be well over a hundred degrees. And mm. uh, the humidity is, I wouldn't say, no, it's it's not arid, but um, for example, the printers prefer it between 60 and 70 degrees. In the peak of summer, even with two, I wouldn't say industrial, but sort of mid range humidifiers, I struggle to keep it at 55. Oh,
0: well.
1: So we're looking at, uh, we're looking at probably 20 to 50. 40% humidity on average in summer. And remember, we get winter rain, so there's no rain in summer here. And humidity, in my mind, is the biggest killer.
0: Well, uh, well is there a point... I mean, I know the Sicilian, you've probably never forced that, but um, you said uh, between 60 and 70% relative humidity is what they like?
1: The DGM2s that I have, they're very, very fussy. Um, they want 60%, between 60 and 70 I start seeing the difference when it drops below 60. Um, this could also be over the years, me getting my eye in and, um, getting fussier about the prints and also maybe spending way too much time with the printers and being tuned into the beeps. But, um, yeah, for me, those two, the brother's not half as sensitive. The brother's fine at, at anywhere between 40 and 60. Well, it, it'll still print at, say, 45, whereas the DTGM2s, nah. So I keep the print room 20 degrees Celsius and humidity between 60 and 70 percent, and then they're at their happiest.
0: What happens if it gets too humid? Is that a concern? Or would that not even...
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> Rust. Rust would be a concern probably. Right.
0: Yeah, because basically your inks are drying on your print heads. That's the problem, basically.
1: No, no, no. I mean, you said no if the humidity is too high. Um, so the, that would the humidity being too high would cause me to rot and yes. the machines to rust. But Ruts. I mean, low humidity is a killer when you're printing because okay. the ink dries too quickly on your head, and you have to run more and more cleans, which means you're flushing away more ink. It's more strain on your head, your capping station. It just shortens the lifespan of everything and your prints are inconsistent and, yeah, it's just an absolute
0: nightmare. Okay, so anyone wanting to get in direct to garment printing, you need to control your environment. That's the bottom line on this one, right? Definitely. Uh, How have you become more accustomed to uh, working in the humidity? I mean, have you acclimated yourself or is it still after a day in there you're like,
1: uh... That, that's actually a really, really good point, Phil. Um, when we first started with the humidifiers, um, I actually had a lot of throat irritation. It was almost like I had allergies. But um, I personally don't like heat, and I went to Thailand in 2006, and I hated it because it was like someone hit me with a wet towel in the face. Um, and now after almost... Two in the print cave with the humidifiers going day in and day out. I'm very much ready for an island vacation. I can now deal with humidity.
0: <laughs> See, yes. It's really weird because I, I lived in humidity, got raised in it in Florida. I mean, a, mm-hmm. a lot of it, and it seems natural. As I'm a, more of an adult, I guess I'm more of an adult now.
1: Are
0: you? It, <laughs> sometimes, some days. <laughs> it affects me more, but I still have that upbringing where it's not a big deal. So going to Thailand would be like nothing for me. However, it's weird when you get away from it. I almost miss a certain amount. I'm like a direct-to-government. I need a certain amount. And I moved from Florida to Missouri in the wintertime, and it was Mm -hmm. the winter part of it. Actually, Missouri is very humid in the summer. I actually had to go to the drugstore and get a nasal um, douche or whatever you call it. My sinus cavities were just drying up, and it was like, where's the humidity? What's going on? Okay, well, let's bring it back around. I did want to say something on your Facebook. You did the little dress, a uh, Field of Flowers mm-hmm. dress.
1: Yes.
0: That's like for one thing, it's huge. It's it's beautiful, it's very creative. I'm sure that uh that would be difficult for d do, do that on a uh, production level, you know, for a customer. It'd be very expensive. But did you stretch that over the double platin dealy or something? How did you do that?
1: <laughs> yeah, the um the that was one of the reasons, well, amongst the reasons why we got the the DTGM-2 in the first place was the much cheaper in cost. The service support's very close. Um, a double platen machine, if you're running production, obviously, is, well, it's ideal. You're loading two shirts at a time. But then also what's nice about the DTGM-2 is you can combine your print platens, which are essentially a 3 to just under a two four hundred by six hundred millimeters, so you get that double in size, which you can all over print a kids T-shirt, or if you're really creative and have some painters tape, a lady T-shirt as well. And then obviously panels. So for that field of flowers, I just that was a, a gift for my niece for spring day. So I just got a, a HD wallpaper online with some gorgeous flowers and we took a reject t-shirt a big one like a forex mm-hmm. and I printed either side with this um field of flowers and then we just stitched that into a little dress for my niece
0: well it came out looking beautiful and it's wonderful and I love the creativity that uh people can put to things um I I love screen printers and garment decorators we're all pretty uh crafty people um and we do some really neat things from time to time.
1: Yeah, I think that was with. um, I'm noticing now a lot of the stuff that I essentially printed in a vacuum for the first couple of years. Um, the brother was just there. It's not like I researched and went out on a purchase, um, educated. It was something that was there and I started playing with it. Um, Then I started doing a bit more research for the M2, but um, I wasn't on the forums, or I only found the DTG group where we met, um, that's a year ago, and I spent all this time in a vacuum, and it's just bizarre the things you can come up with. Um, I've got some very strange-looking little jigs for... Raising t shirts, dropping t shirts. Um, I'm very lucky that I also learned to sew in this time. So, this is where the dress comes oh, yeah. in. Um, we had an amazing seamstress at the warehouse um, who taught me everything. Um, so, yeah, you can. It, I think the point that I'm trying to get at is that if there's no one there to tell you that you can't, mm-hmm. that this isn't possible, then you're going to keep trying and most of the time probably pull it
0: off. There are a lot of naysayers that bring a lot of people down. I mean, this is in all fields, all walks of life, so and all, all situations. And you have to realize that sheer belief in things that you want to achieve is the only thing that really matters. Almost all technology and inventions and things that are going on now would have been naysayed down to non-existence, and we would still be... Uh, no airplanes, no nothing, you know, so I really like that. you said that by not knowing people think it's impossible that you forge forward, even if people say it's impossible, still forge forward people that's that's a good good trait
1: yeah, i'm I'm quite hard headed like that if someone tells me it's impossible, I'll try anyway and make sure that it's impossible uh-huh. i mean obviously you you're also staying within logic you know you understand how the machine works um you're not going to do something stupid to actually hurt the printer that's the other angle on that where okay i'm not going to put something pointy or um hard or yeah yeah
0: some way off the tracks let's try rubbing the shirt with honey before we print it or something you know we we all operate in the laws of our universe which um, also may be subject to question. As long as you believe them, you better be operating within that world or uh, you're going to be in trouble.
1: Sharp and pointy things are going to hurt sensitive machinery.
0: Can I get some advice to other people wanting to do what you're doing or maybe they are doing what, uh, a similar thing? Since I do believe your business is successful, you seem to be happy. How do you keep the success rolling or how do you keep happy... Some advice to people wanting to do similar things.
1: Well, I mean, the the first the first bit of advice that I would give from a purchase point of view is stop looking at the pretty pictures. Um, when you start out, you're going to need service support. So if you you have to look around, yes, one machine might seem better than the other, but if it breaks down and there's no one close to help you, there's nothing you can do with your awesome machine. So. For me, one of the biggest things was um, the technicians were literally two blocks away. Um, that was, and obviously the consumable cost. That was the two things that got us onto the, the M2s, and they have um, been there from the days where I couldn't change a damper on the printer to um, now installing a new mainboard, while I can. Change most of the moving parts on the machine. Um, electronics is my strong point, but that was, that was a big thing for me, having the service sort of support close by.
0: A Proper purchase decisions based on, your, on all levels, the um, consumables mm. versus initial price, and also can you get it serviced? I know um, our friend yeah. um, Mark was having some trouble with service because he's in Australia and it wasn't as supported. You're lucky to have had that uh, service so nearby.
1: Well, that's, um, I actually looked at the printer that Mark has um, when it came out because it is supported in South Africa, our range isn't quite as big as in the U.S., but um, we have that printer here, and it it got great reviews when it came out, and um, from what I hear, it's still a really nice little printer, except, well, it, it sounds like a really nice printer for a beginner if you if you're printing regularly, And constantly, you're not going to need a lot of the features. But anyway, um, I looked at that printer, and it was a really, really nice little printer because we started looking at we needed another small printer. Um, And Mm. we found out that there's one technician that services it countrywide.
0: He spread too thin.
1: And that was just, that was a deal breaker for me. Well, firstly, he can't service everyone. And redundancy is a huge thing. If those machines are standing still, I'm not making any money. So And I have service contracts with clients that need to be sold, so I can't afford to be down for days. So that was just an absolute deal-breaker for me on that machine, and even though the machine gets lovely reviews.
0: Once upon a time, buying a uh, European automobile in the United States was not the best decision. You better be able to have your vehicle down because no one's going to be able to work on it, of course.
1: Yeah, that's a very good analogy because yeah, if you can't get parts for it, there's nothing you can do.
0: All right. Well, Stephanie, I I tell you what, I'm uh, if I ever get to South Africa in Cape Town, I would like to uh, get the Nickel tour from you. It sounds like you have an amazing business and a beautiful place to live.
1: No, you really, you really should come down. It's it's a, it's a little slice of heaven. Um, we can show you, we can show you wildlife, but there's none roaming the streets here. Mm-hmm um unfortunately. Um, or unless you unless you count the, the the interesting specimens of hipsterism with their beards walking down the road. But um yeah. It's it's actually quite civilized. We can show you uncivilised and it's an absolutely beautiful place. And we have a lot of fun printing.
0: I wish you continued success. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. I'm so glad you shared your knowledge and skills with some of the listeners out there.
1: Um, yeah, I, I don't know how much how much knowledge and there is, but I'm always happy to share.
0: The object of this podcast is is just somewhat inspirational, uh, is that it can be done. You can do it. Uh, you can do it on a many many levels. I can speak for screen printing that it works with hand stretched screen printing on a shirt laid on the floor, <laughs> and actually, if you are have passion and motivation and determination, you can get good results like that. And I've worked with um, direct-to-screen jetting with hot wax. It's um, oh wow! It's really intense and perfect and wonderful. All the screens I make are with um, that technology, and um, the just dot screens come out perfect. Every screen is in perfect registration to each other relative to where you put it in the machine. And I guess what the moral of the story and the reason I wanted to speak—maybe someone picked up on a tip or trick that you spoke of—but the fact that you're out there doing it. You're part of the community, you're, you employ people, you feed yourself, you're a productive member of society doing wonderful things, and you're following your passion. And that's what I want listeners to do, to not get um, down, and just, just go for it, man, it works.
1: <laughs> well, firstly, thank you. That sounds really awesome. But um, I agree with you completely in that you can do it. Just keep going. I mean, we started with, I've spent... A great many nights, printing and crying and soaking the printed, digging in the capping station, soaking a bit more, printing, crying some more. But we made it out the other side. Um, We got more printers. Um, I just started with the screen printing. That's a whole new discipline for me. Um, And it's messy and it's difficult and it's taking long. But um, I do feel that it's just another learning curve that we're going to get through, and I, I honestly have to say I have a lot of fun at work. It's it's one very large arts and crafts project.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic, and I think everyone, the more you can maintain that attitude the better your life will be. You, of course, and anyone can call me about screen printing tips. Uh, sometimes things are hard to uh, diagnose over the phone, but if you ever need my assistance, uh, you have it, Stephanie, and also anyone else out there listening. I'm easily found so once again I really thank you and I really appreciate the time you've taken here and um, with that I'd like to wish you a good
1: day thanks so much and thanks for having me